Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, listeners. This episode is available in its entirety to our fantastic members that support our work. Members receive access to exclusive content, an ad-free listening experience, access to transcripts of our episode, an invitation to join our members-only Slack community, and more. If you become a founding insider, you'll receive a Deep State Radio face mask, a signed copy of David Rothkoff's book, Trader, and exclusive access to our new weekly audio feature, Deep Thoughts by David Rothkoff. To become a member, visit thedsrnetwork.com and click Membership Levels. For a limited time, use code SUPPORT at checkout and receive 20% off your membership. Thank you for listening and enjoy the preview. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to another special edition of the podcast. This is one of our series where we bring together experts and we let a few folks in to pose questions for the experts. We call this series Ask the Blob. Um, uh, That's, of course, uh, you know, a, a, a term of endearment for everybody in the national security and foreign policy community. Uh, that was cooked up by the Obama administration a while back. Uh, and we we hold it close to us as as we do the term deep state um, uh, because we, we we take those terms away from our our enemies by doing this. We're very fortunate to have with us today two friends, Juliet Kayyem, who is a professor at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, where she's the faculty chair of the Homeland Security and Security and Global Health Projects. Uh, she's also a consultant. She was assistant secretary for the Department of Homeland Security. How are you, Juliet? I'm doing well. Nice to be here again. Very glad to have you with us. Also glad to have with us is Clint Watts, who's a distinguished research fellow at the Foreign Policy Research Institute, non-resident fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy, like Juliet. He's a regular uh, commentator on TV, a former U.S. Army infantry officer, a former FBI agent. Uh, and was uh, executive officer of the Combating Terrorism Center at West Point. Hi, Clint. How are you? Hello. Thanks for having me. So one of the things that uh, made this uh, uh, topic come to mind, obviously in the wake of of January 6th, was what I saw as a a fairly dramatic change, a a change that I would I would suggest is is one of those that happens only every 10 or 20 years in U.S. national security, where there is a wholesale shift in priorities, right? Um, and, and we all remember one happening around uh, September 11th, 2001, where people stopped talking about great power competition, and they started talking about um, uh, terrorist threats and asymmetric threats and those kind of things. 
Um, it's not that the great power competition went away, just that became central focus. Um, and um, in, in recent years, there's been a shift back to discussion about the, the great power competition. But in the world of you know, dealing with terror threats, uh, I think it's fair to say that there's a much greater focus today than there has ever been on um, domestic extremism as the most worrisome source of those threats. Again, not to say that foreign threats don't exist, but the real question, the first question that I'm going to pose to both of you, and I'll pose you a couple of my own, and then we'll fold in some from the audience. We already have some from the audience. And by the way, if you're in the audience, the webinar audience, and you want to pose a question, all you've got to do is go to the Q&A section on the, on the Zoom screen and, and put in your own uh, question, and I'll try to get to it or paraphrase it or weave it into the discussion. Um, but the question, um, and, and, and let me start with you, Juliet, and then we'll go yeah. to Clint, is are we ready for this shift? Are we organized for it? Do we have the laws and the mm. books for it? Do we have the resources within the government to handle it? So I think there's a, a couple answers. To that. The first of all is, is the it, right? I mean, in other words, uh, uh, there are a lot of responses to the it of which um, only one piece is the government response. So I, I, I'm not sure where Clint is on this. I'm not a huge, I, I won't cry if there's a domestic terrorism law, but I don't think it's a precondition to moving forward. We've prosecuted lots of people. There is sentencing disparity. I get that between international terrorism, domestic terrorism, but we put a lot of bad people who have done domestic terrorism in jail for long periods of time without an exclusive statute. So, so the tools are there. I think the focus is now there. Um, in terms of the things that government knows how to do, which is essentially investigate and prosecute, although you know we'll we'll find out over time in terms of resource. But there's two other actors that are very relevant to this. One of, of course, is the social media platforms um, and the deplatforming of what I have called this, or you know, of of, of call Trump what you will, but he is the, clearly the spiritual guiding light, the north star of a domestic terrorism groups, and they listen to him. So the deplatforming of him and, and others. So there's going to be a private sector response. And I think um, also the shaming, people don't like the word shaming, I don't mind it. Uh, but, but, you know, the sort of isolation of people economically, whether it's banks or hotels, or even in places of employment, that are simply saying, you're not welcome, right? And then the third piece is, of course, leadership, which is not just government, it is, but it is, you know, it is Biden compared to Trump. It is not having a nurturer in the Oval Office of, of racial uh, bigotry, but having someone who, who does sort of shame it with his, you know, President Biden is good with his, you know, come on, man, you know, that's a sort of a shaming. It's like, come on, you know better. I think despite all the politics and hypocrisy of it, I am quite happy with McConnell's statement. I think if you view it through the lens of, 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 uh, of uh, radicalization, I think it can be helpful in the future, um, despite its hypocrisy. Uh, and, um, and so there's different pieces, but that's sort of where I am right now. And I'm kind of in a more hopeful than not mood than I was say on January 7th, because it wasn't clear that, that a lot of these different things would happen then, the arrests, the prosecutions, the isolation, the, the you know, deplatforming, the 
um, the statements uh, made by by leaders in all sorts of walks of life. So I'm I'm going to be in a good mood for a while. I've it's we've had you on many times before. This is uncharacteristically optimistic and. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm it's a new year. I'm, I, yeah, yeah, right. I'm re, I'm relying on Clint to counterbalance that. <laughs> I'll go negative early. Okay, I'll sure. start out. <laughs> go negative early. So there uh, there are three forces that are containing the domestic extremist circles right now. One, President Trump isn't talking. Yeah. Uh, any way you look at it, he he was the unifying force of domestic extremist groups that would otherwise not get along. So, you know, if it's a militia group versus a white supremacist group versus the young accelerationist, like let's start a second civil war kind of folks online, he was saying things that they all, you know, conjured around. You could see it that day at that protest. I mean, there were parents with their kids right behind guys in full military gear storming, you know, the front of the Capitol. It's, bizarre, right, to see that, but that's because it is a collection of many different groups. The second part is um, many of them are in pursuit, are being pursued right now by law enforcement, and they know that. So they're, you see them breaking, you know, some are de-escalating, some are accelerating. You're seeing a lot of splinter groups over the last month, some that are leaning into more extremism, many that are backing away. Um, So that is creating all sorts of tumult, which leaves people unsure what to do. And the third thing is the inavailability of targets. What has not been addressed is COVID-19 has put most people in their houses. And so people will be like, well, when's the next big attack? I was like, well, you have to have a target to attack. The sixth was a, an event that brought people together with a designated target. At the moment, the only target that I'm worried about is vaccine distribution points, mm-hmm. because we've seen some of that, the white supremacists and anti-vax talk actually overlap considerably based on the different conspiracies they believe. So if you unfold that forward, I think in terms of the response um, part of it, the FBI has actually been on this kind of since 2018 from that Walmart El Paso shooting on, you saw them do a series of arrests against the base and Adam Wap and some of these more extreme variants. And they've done very good, but they're overwhelmed now. Part of the reason they're overwhelmed is because their own leader, the president was saying, you can't trust the FBI and you know, they're all rigged and that cuts down on your sources and your intelligence hard to operate. The, the other compounding problem of this is Trump's politicization of the military and law enforcement has created a wedge in there where we can't actually know if we're policing it well or if we even have our eye on it because there are elements of both that are so in belief that Trump won the election that they are continuing you know, on with that conspiracy. And then there's a third part, which I think uh, Juliet brought up, which is exactly right, which is the social media phenomenon of this, which we encountered this in the international space, which was we had to have foreign terrorist organization designation. We had to know what to call something so that even if it was ideologically aligned with it, we could preemptively start to investigate. And the FBI built a whole system of doing assessments and type one and type two and looking less intrusive measures to try and get ahead of people that have no criminal record that are talking online as part of groups that want to kill other Americans. We have that phenomenon now and there's no good system for it. The FBI really has to go with the old conspiracy cases and it's too late. That's part of the reason why they can't get in front of these things on the domestic scene. That goes to the terrorism law question. Mm -hmm. I don't think our Congress can pass a terrorism, domestic terrorism designation law, nor could they effectively designate because they're so partisan. 
Um, they would have you looking for the 400 Antifa people nationwide <laughs> while ignoring 10,000 white supremacists that are ready, yeah. you know, to go kill people. But what like Director Ray does need to be able to do is say, okay, I've now connected 10 cases to Boogaloo, an accelerationist group that wants to start a second civil war in the United States. I am going to use the methods of assessment using public records, looking at social media to identify potential leads before we have a yeah. really devastating plot. I would love for the director of the FBI to have that. To listen to this episode in its entirety, please visit the DSRnetwork.com and become a member today. Thank you for listening.